Broadcasting from the Wella offices, direct from the Atlanta Tech Village, you're listening to The Incubator, the voice of the Atlanta Tech startup scene. The Incubator is a weekly show featuring Atlanta-based startup founders, influencers, and entrepreneurs. Who they are, what drives them, and how they plan to change the world. Today's show is made possible by Willa, helping you on your financial journey every step of the way. And now, here are today's hosts. All right. Good morning and welcome back to The Incubator. I am your host, Todd Schnick, joined by my friend and colleague, Ashley Staggs. What's up, Staggs? How you doing? Hi, good. I realize you always ask me how I am at the start of every show, and I never ask you how you are. I've noticed that. How are you today, Todd? Yeah, no one has ever asked me before. You know, that's the problem with being the lead host is that no one ever gives a damn about <laughs> No one cares what you think. <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank great. You Glad so to much. hear it. Uh, you know, as we, as we publish this, it's probably around the new year. So happy new year to you. Yeah. Happy new year. 2016. Get to start over. (laughs) (laughs) To start over. Yeah. That's That's, one way to look at it. January is always my fresh start month. Yeah. 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 And then by February, it's back into old habits. Every passing moment is another chance to turn it all around though. You don't have to wait till January (laughs) 1. You name the movie that's from? It's not the Golden Girls. It's not the Golden Girls. Then I wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. I only know Golden Girls quotes. (laughs) You know, 2016 is going to be a fun year. I mean, we've had some really great conversations at the tail end of 2015 with a lot of exciting 2016 plan. So it's going to be fun seeing all this stuff come to fruition. And it's a fascinating industry, this Atlanta tech startup scene, Ashley. I mean, we talk to a lot of actual startups mm-hmm. that are, have launched a product and are trying to change the world. There's a huge industry around the tech startup scene and a, a big support structure. A lot of people trying to help make all those dreams and make all that change possible. So that's one of the conversations we're going to have today. I'm looking forward to it. We don't get to talk to these types of groups very often, like you said. So I'm really interested to see what that side of it looks like that holds up startups like me <laughs> yep, yep, so that yep. we don't fall apart. <laughs> I get it. Well, let's get to it. We're joined this morning by Armand Kadima. Armand, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks Thanks for having me. Uh, it's our pleasure. You're a partner with MD Burns Nash. We're also joined by Beverly Price, also a partner. Beverly, welcome. Thank you for having us. Oh, the pleasure is ours. Thanks for making time. Happy New Year to you guys. So Beverly, let me start with you. Uh, before we get into our conversation around MD Burns Nash, uh, take us uh, through a few seconds about you and your background. Okay, my background, I uh, basically went to school. I got a journalism degree and I decided to get into TV news and it was just not for me. (laughs) I, as soon as my contract ran out, I was out of there. I kind of fell into a startup, um, helping them from the ground up. And that's pretty much how I got my start and my exposure to startup. It was a nonprofit, but a business is still a business, whether it be a nonprofit or a for-profit. So I kind of was able to wear multiple hats. I put in infrastructure, kind of learn all of the tricks and trades of what it is to uh, have a successful startup and how to create longevity in a business. So um, that's pretty much how I got my start in this whole, yeah. And then I kind of uh, moved on to the con- in a consulting role. Yeah, that's 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 pretty much how I started from TV news, and then I kind of uh, went into uh, the nonprofit world, and there I served as a CFO. But I played multiple. When you know, when you're in a startup in the beginning, funds are limited, so you have sure. to play multiple positions. Yeah. You know, I've done development, I've done fundraising, I've done human resources, uh, operations. So you name it, I've pretty much done it. But well, with what you do, I'm happy that you played all worn all those hats. Uh, yeah. And welcome to the club. I'm also a member of holding a useless degree. 
agree that there's no bearing <laughs> on, our, on our career. So I'm with you on that. Uh, Armand, Armand Kadima, tell us about you and your background. Originally, I'm from Zaire. Went to college, got a, my degree in accounting. So I've been an accountant for probably the last 11 years. Worked for the companies from the Fortune 100s all the way to small mom and pops and startups. Definitely at this point, I would like to decided to come together and start MD Burris Nash as a consultant firm to kind of address the startup needs, the financial infrastructure needs for the startup community here in Atlanta. So how do you do that? Tell us what it's all about. What kind of services do you offer? Give me the rundown on MD Burns Nash. Our primary focus is that we're um, we're accountants by trade, so we know how to put all the data together, financial data. So you collect transactions from purchases or procurements or prepare financial statements to dictate and be able to provide the financial information to the organization to be able to help the leadership make the proper decisions that to lead the organization in the right direction. But what we come in is that instead of just being historical recorders of data where we just collecting data, we want to take more of a proactive approach. Okay, What is the organization's mission? What is the direction? And we help strategize with the proper infrastructure to make sure that you have the infrastructure in place to be able to scale the organization, to be able to meet its growing needs. Because with the tech industry is these organizations have the ability to go from zero to 60 in such a short period of time. So you have to be able to have the proper infrastructure to be able to sustain that and be able to have to scale the organization. So that's where we come in. It's like from um, figuring out what's, what's the proper um, strategy for revenue, lines of businesses, to how do you get the funds that you need to be able to support your endeavor or what type of clientele are you focused on, you just want to market to, and how does that fit within your organizational strategy? Wait a minute, Stag. So we're supposed to have a strategy? (laughs) Uh, That's what I've been told, (laughs) I think. It's amazing to me how many organizations, not just tech startups, uh, most organizations, I don't know, they even know what the definition of strategy is. I mean, so that's such an important part of it. I I think people think they've got their strategy licked. What they're really doing is is tactical, not strategy. And a lot of people don't understand the difference between that. So, all right. So Beverly, uh, as we record this, we're at Atlanta Tech Village and there's some amazing organizations here, including our, our sponsor, Wella. They've gotten this thing started, but there's a million people like me, goofballs like me, that have a cool idea, perhaps, but I don't know what the heck to do with that idea. So if you come up with something intriguing that's got potential and it's a good idea, what do you do next? Well, the first thing you want to do is you want to put together a plan. <laughs> that, oh. that strategy. Uh. You, you've got to get a plan down on paper. I tell people the best thing to do is picture your end goal. What's the end goal that you have in mind? And work backwards. Start with the end goal and you work backwards and it helps you figure out what you need. And you don't have to have all the answers, but it kind of gives you a general oversight of what you would need to get there. So the first thing is putting it down on paper. You need a business plan. The second thing you want to do is you want to reach out to someone who can help you, someone like us, a consultant, someone who can help you plan not only with the plan, but the implementation process as well. So you want someone who can kind of see what your overall picture is, but help you kind of fine tune some areas. And again, you don't have to have all the answers in the beginning because nobody has all the answers in the beginning, but you you want to have a general idea of where you're going. That's the most important thing. You have anything to add? I agree with most of that. It's beginning with the end in mind is the key because you have to know where you're going to take the step in the right direction. I think it was a great quote. It was saying, how, how do you get to Mount Everest? 
well, but making sure the first step you take is in the direction towards Mount Everest. <laughs> <laughs> so with that in that. mind is, yeah, you, yeah. so I kind of want to pick it back on that. Just beginning with the end in sight is key. That's how we extrapolate those questions from the leadership, from the organization. You have to know where you're going and what it is that you want to do. What's the legacy that you want to leave behind? What kind of end do you encourage these users, or these co-founders, I'm so used to saying users <laughs> every day at work. How, what kind of end do you encourage the co-founders to envision? Is it a Mount Everest end or do you encourage that they be more realistic and say at the end of a year, this is what I want it to look like? It's the Mount Everest. You okay. want them to, yeah. to dream big for the, the big end goal. And then you can create those mini goals in the process. So that year plan, that five-year plan, that 10-year plan, that will go along to getting you to your mountain. But you definitely want to see the mountain first. Yeah. yeah. But it's a common scenario in startup world that you may dive into this thing, and there's countless stories of this, and you may need to pivot because you've learned some things along the way. And you have to have that end goal in mind to know it's time to pivot, right? I mean, you just can't pivot because it's not working, because you're not sure where you're going. To me, that's not really a pivot. That's you're floundering. <laughs> but a, a very strategic pivot is, only, in my view, only possible if you do have an original end goal. Am I, am I off on that? Am I correct? You have to navigate and adapt because, like I said, if, going back to the Mount Everest analogy, as you're taking these steps towards Mount Everest, you might run across different terrains that you might have to pivot, and sometimes you might have to go backwards to take to, to leap forward. Or it just you have to adapt. There's a thing about you, just human nature, and which kind of falls on like humans beings run businesses. So businesses have to be able to adapt. You have to be able to sometimes evaluate where you are and evaluate the, the direction that you're heading, and make sure that you're still heading in the right direction. Check your compass. <laughs> are we still? And then if things are come about the way you have to adjust and take different routes, you have to be able to do that. That's key. Well, there's an advantage to a small startup that they can be agile, yes. but you can't be loose and floundering. I mean, there, there needs to be some core direction you're trying to go, right? All right. Armand and Beverly will return after this short break. We'll be right back. This is Wes Moss, former host of Atlanta Tech Edge on NBC in Atlanta. I'm here today, though, to talk to you about my new digital financial advisory firm, Wella. Well is an old English word that means wealth. Several years ago, my team realized there were too many people who needed help with their financial strategy, but couldn't get the help they needed because they didn't reach the high investment minimums of many financial advisory firms. To answer this need, we developed Wella, a digital platform that allows us to help people just like you get free financial advice and tools to better manage their finances. We also offer online investing and the ability to work with your own investment advisor with no minimums. Learn more at yourwella.com. That's Y-O-U-R-W-E-L-A.com. All right. And we're back with Armand Kadima, Beverly Price of MD Burns Nash. Todd, you have your your crazy idea. So we've decided you now need to go find somebody to help you do your business plan. What about when Todd wants funding for his crazy idea? <laughs> <laughs> then what? How does so how do we obtain capital? So it's a brainstorm session. It's a mm-hmm. conversation that's to be had with the ownership of all the founders of the organization. A lot of different methodologies and practices that could be utilized to be able to find the company the funding needed to fund the venture. There's always, the first step is always to reach out to family and friends, that rich uncle that might have <laughs> a lot of cash stored up somewhere. That's usually one of the first um, advice that we advise to people. And then there's always the traditional routes of- Because frankly, if your family's yeah. not buying into the thing, it's probably not- <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's if a, your closest friends, exactly. If your closest people to you are not buying into it, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, you're right, it might be a sign. But at the same time, you never know. A lot of people, 
that have accomplished a lot of great things didn't have support from the closest people. Your mom might think you're an idiot, but that's not your fault. (laughs) Well, she does. So there's no (laughs) doubt about that. (laughs) Exactly. So you've progressed to sometimes there's traditional lending options where you could go to banks and apply for SBA loans. But those have certain requirements and prerequisites that must be in place. There are credit rating, um, business history. A lot of them, I think, require that you're in business for at least a couple of years. Then the other option is to bring in external investors. So you could look at the angel investors who are willing to come in for depending how whatever situation you agree upon with them to be able to help you fund, depending on your needs, be able to fund your your venture with some kind of return on equity or return on their investment. Probably the most popular (laughs) options in the technology industry is the the venture capital route. So you can reach out to venture capitalists if you're ideal if the project requires a substantial large amount of money, uh, venture capitalists uh, are willing to come in and for uh, equity ownership into the organization, fund your venture, and there you go. <laughs> and do you help people ma- navigate that process? Yes. Because that can be a, a scary process. Exactly, yes. All right. So Beverly, let me ask you this question. So not a day passes that those of us monitoring the tech scene will read some story that will say something like, all right, Uber just raised another couple billion and now have $14 trillion valuation. There's a second appeal about this idea and the idea of pitching venture capitalist is a sexy thing that looks cool in TV shows and all that, right? <laughs> but that's not always the right course for a startup, right? There is a time in my view, and I want your all's opinion on it, that maybe the better move is actually to bootstrap out of the gate mm-hmm. until you test some things and prove some things. I mean, when you sit, I imagine part of the work you do is when you sit down with a, an organization is to help make the right decision on how they should raise capital. Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't necessarily mean they need to raise it right away. Walk us through what you're, you're thinking there. Absolutely. It's uh, steps. You know, and I think some people want to fly before they can crawl, you know, (laughs) and you have to know how to take those steps. Sometimes it does require a bold move of going in front of a venture capitalist, a group of venture capitalists with, you know, a great grand idea if you feel that that's what it's going to take to get you to that mountain. Most other times you can basically take those steps and kind of go some of these other traditional routes that uh, Armand was talking about, the loans or starting off small. And I always tell people to kind of, even though you have a big envision in mind, you don't want to get this thing off the ground and you're not able to contain it. You want to take it in steps. So you want to start off with a small team, small light, and then just kind of grow it out. But a strategy shouldn't be, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get on Shark Tank. That's not a viable strategy in my view. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah, not necessarily, because you could always, like I said, ultimately, you want to make sure that you work out all the kinks. You Make sure you kind of invest your blood, sweat, and tears initially to until you really need the funding. Because it's not always about, I have an idea, let me go find a billion dollars. So sometimes you have to put your own small investment. Sometimes it might require $100 to go buy, subscribe to something, or a couple bucks here, or start coding yourself. Uh, do as much as you can on your own until you need additional help. Until you get to the point you, you exhaust all your resources that you do have and see how far you get with that. And then at that perspective, that point you probably have a good solid product or a, a idea that you could really sell to where people will, will, are more likely to give you whatever funding you need because you you've perfected this thing. You kind of have it down packed. So that's kind of we kind of suggest that you go and just put in your own a lot of effort in at first and then look for other options. So when you go to to get that funding, what are some of the things that you you, you, the businesses you work with, what are the things that make that successful for them? So what pieces do I really need to make sure my pitch is down? I've got these types of numbers ready to show. What are those pieces of a successful capital round? The plan ultimately is the key. You got to have a solid plan. You, can be, you have to be able to articulate what it is that you want to accomplish. What need are you solving? So be able to articulate the financial projections because anytime you're seeking funding externally, you need to ensure the funders 
need to ensure that you that the ability for you to be able to pay the, the money that you've received back to the organization. So you got to be able to financial projections that substantiate how you'll be able to pay back. And so the plan is key. Be able to have a plan and a proposal to be able to say, okay, you know what? This is how much we need. Here is how we're going to pay it back. I mean, ultimately, you're in business to make profit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if you can't show (laughs) how you're going to make a profit, (laughs) then you're in trouble. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And no one else is going to buy into it because they're not going to put their money <laughs> right. up front for something that you're not going to be able to guarantee them a return on. So if you can't show how you're going to make profit in the future, then you really need to <laughs> slow down. <laughs> and, yeah. what, a, what an investor is going to want to understand when, when they pitch is how those things are going to scale. Exactly. It's amazing to me. I suspect how many people don't have the answer to that question, right? And that, yeah. is that, I think it's unbelievable to me, but that's a common problem. It yeah, is. I think startup founders have a, even startup employees like myself have a propensity to go fake it till you make it. We're just like, we'll figure it out. Just put it out there. We'll figure it out. And I'm always the conservative one. What happens if this floods and like we get a hundred users in a day, we can't support that. That would be a great problem to have, figure it out. But that can really cause some damage if you're not prepared. Exactly. And that's why I go back to saying you want to start small and then grow yourself out. Just add with layers because if you go too fast, too soon, you're going to crash. You have to be able to also, as you're setting up the infrastructure for your organization to be able to scale, you got to make sure also that you found the solutions that can be scalable. Because, for example, like Legos, you can add on pieces here and there as you grow and you can expand. But if you start with a product that cannot be scaled or if you make a decision to go with a software or a a tool that that doesn't handle any additional add-ons, you, you'll find yourself in a lot of a lot of trouble. You got to be able to have the plan and the infrastructure to know that, you know what, when we do, are get flooded with 100 users or when we issue this product and we get a million orders, <laughs> we have to be able to have the system that we can piecemeal and add pieces to it and, and expand as we as these needs come up. What do you think is the biggest reason that a startup will fail? And there's obviously numbers. I mean, we've interviewed some, some organizations, some startups on this show, fascinating companies that seem like this is going to be the next big thing that are now out of business. What are the maybe one or two or three very common things that cause this thing to fail? Ultimately, a poor plan. Poor plan is, to me, the number one reason why a lot of theme. I'm the other, <laughs> We might be learning a lesson here. <laughs> a, a poor plan is the number one reason why a lot of organizations fail because once your plan is not well intact and doesn't quietly fit your objective, you get to the point where it, it, it becomes discouraging because you come, you come across hurdles and you don't know how to tackle those hurdles. And they, and they get bigger and bigger. And the, more, and the more hurdles you come across without a proper plan to kind of propel you forward that you could go back to and say, okay, you know what, let's go back to the drawing board. What we initially envisioned? What was our initial plan? How do we want to get this thing done? And when you, once you don't have that, it becomes discouraging. People tend to kind of fall back and into despair and just give up. Mm-hmm. Um, so ultimately, the plan is the key. You got to have a plan. A, a strong plan. We've now gotten Todd's idea off the ground. We've gotten it funded. Your branding is terrible. Crazy <laughs> idea is a terrible brand. So how do we now brand our, our company? As far as branding is concerned, it's ultimately, it's dictated by the leadership of the organization. What, what exactly do you want to portray to the end user? How do you want the end user to look at your organization? And based on that, you devise your strategy to kind of meet that particular branding strategy. So whether it's figuring out whether or not you are a social enterprise, so you want to be able to people look at you as a humanitarian organization where you're doing a lot of social impact, then you will dictate your brand to kind of fit that mold or fit that target market or yeah, target market, it's, it's another, <laughs> which leads to another <laughs> branding strategy. It's your target market. Who, who are you targeting? Yeah. And because your brand has to appeal to 
to your target market. Because mm-hmm. if you're targeting millennials, your brand cannot be more attractive to You can't use the more than boomers. five words in a sentence. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah, so branding is very important because you have to be able to establish how do you want the end user to view your organization from externally looking in. Any other comment on that? No, I mean, everything that Armand said was absolutely correct. You have to know your target audience and what you want the audience to feel about your product, about your organization, your business, your brand. When they see your name, what comes to mind? So you have to take all of that into consideration. So what he said was absolutely correct. I'll just piggyback right off of that. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I'm going back to half joking earlier about (laughs) how this is all foundational around having a good solid plan. Correct. And I think... I think that speaks to, there's a perception out there that it's some 22-year-old punk kid who started at Harvard and didn't finish and he launched this thing in his garage, you know, <laughs> like like Steve Jobs. That's not typically the case. I mean, there's, but I think a lot of the people who start up these companies are young people that are inexperienced in business. And so they think, oh, they have all this momentum and they can start something because they're smart and they'll work hard. <laughs> and that's exactly. like, yeah, it's not because they think they don't need it. It's because they don't think they know any better about the strategic side of this thing. They're thinking more tactical. I think a lot of young startups would say, I don't need consultants. I don't need anybody to help me. I don't need adult supervision on this. <laughs> <laughs> There's countless stories of people who built it without that, but I think they're probably wrong. I think they had a lot of advice, a lot of mentorship and all yes. that. How, how do you convince some young gun who's all cocky and arrogant to say, you need help? I tell people, you find the people who are good at what they do and you get them on their team. You can't be the person who's doing the financials, doing the brand, uh, raising the money. You can't do it all. None of us can realistically do it all. And so you've got to put in place a team of people who are good at what they do so that they can push your brand and your product and your company forward. So I, I tell people, you only have so much time in the day. You only have so many things that you can focus on. Do what you're good at and let the people who are good at what they do, do what they're good at. Yeah. That's pretty much how you're going to make it. If you have no idea how to market and you're the one handling your marketing, you might be in trouble there. You, you should know? hire so, a director of marketing. <laughs> exactly. There are, no, exactly. there are no good ones in our <laughs> Exactly. There's one and she's already got a job. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> so speaking of those teams, in a startup, at least I've found that communication is incredibly important with these small teams and making sure that that plan is clear. What kind of advice can you give to the CEOs and the founders on how to make sure their team is, everybody's communicating with each other. They know what the plan is and when the plan needs to shift everybody is kind of on that same page ultimately it's about the relationships that you have um, I think you build a team by having a good relationship with the people on your team because you have to like the people that you're building something great with you have to have some mm-hmm. kind of common interest some kind of just bond because once you have that communication kind of flows so you want to talk to people that you like <laughs> yeah. that you have a relationship right. with so ultimately uh, yes as you build on these teams you have to make sure that they're a right fit not just because of their expertise but how do they fit in within the grand scheme of things do they fit with the culture because culture is key in an organization you got to, as you start your organization, you also have to, there's also cultural strategy, which is another strategy that comes together. What kind of culture do you want to build within an organization? And do these people fit within your culture? Ultimately, you have to just make sure that your those pieces are in place so you could easily gel and then communication becomes just seamless. It's easy. Mm-hmm. When you leave the office late in the evening, you want to grab a bite to eat, you can sit down and communicate then, have call each other, conversations. It's just, yeah, communication is, is key to success, ultimately. But it's easier said than done, though, right? Yes. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, as Beverly said, you have have to hire someone who's good at what you need them to be doing. Correct. 
and they have to fit into the culture of the organization. Yes. So it's it is it is it's not easy. <laughs> no, it's not. It's very well, tricky. And, and tensions can run high, I think, in uh, in startups. Even the most communicative of teams, when it starts getting really late and you got numbers you gotta <laughs> hit, it get it can get really tense. And you know, I think that's probably something that a lot of startups go through, that having an outside force, almost like a mediator, you know, exactly, having a yes. consultant to come in and say, guys, we've gone awry here. Yes. We need to kumbaya and I'll get back on the same page is really helpful to uh, to a startup that can get a little too own in their in their own little hole. Guys, I've heard you talk about this thing called collective entrepreneurship. So I'd love to know uh, what the definition of that is and what are the benefits of it? Hey, well, collective entrepreneurship is basically a group of individuals combining their skills to create and innovate. As we're networking and we're talking to a lot of people, startups and individual consultants and consulting groups or whatnot, we're finding a need that people are craving the need to have a collaborative effort to get together, share resources, share ideas, to basically just push forward together. Uh, like ourselves, we are business and finance strategy, but we've met some brand strategists. We've met, again, culture strategists. I mean, and they, they want to come to us and say, hey, let's can we combine together so that if a company, the tech company needs X, Y, and Z services, and I provide X and you provide Y and they provide Z, we can come together and help them instead of they being all over the place trying to um, find someone. So it, it's almost like an internal reference network, I want to say it is. If yeah. that, yeah, it's, and we're yeah. coming together and we're, you know, brainstorming and having ideas and sessions. And, you know, sometimes you're stronger together than you are apart and sure. individually. And what I see in other cities is there's more of a collective movement versus here in the greater Atlanta area. I think a lot of businesses and organizations are kind of off doing their own one off things. And um, sometimes if they, they come together. They they can actually push their mission or their business a lot Correct. further than yes. you know up separately. So we're just kind of a t we've been tossing around this whole collective entrepreneurship thing and just Correct. kind of trying to start a movement around that and a new culture. Yeah, there's definitely a, a, a growing trend for a lot of millennials to step away from the traditional route of or going to college, getting a job, working there till you're 50, 60, and then retiring, and then. <laughs> then you have to get a job at Walmart because you can make enough money. And, to and, yeah. <laughs> and, and we won't Walmart. have any social security. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's like this this concept of, you know what, a lot of us, Beverly and I both step away from corporate and start our own consulting firm. So there's this trend to step away. But a lot of times there's that fear of, okay, I'm, I'm in this thing alone. So when you have this collective thing, collective entrepreneurship, where you're like, you're not the only one. You could You could step out and reach find other people that are in the same boat where you are that are ambitious that want to accomplish things and it's like you come together and to ensure each other's success because ultimately it's more like a team you're still kind of running your own thing but it's not you're not tied into a someone telling you how to do things out of your own but it's, it's more of a collective effort to just ensure each other's success based on different skill sets and just different expertise be able to refer clients to each other or be able to tackle certain projects together. We, Beverly and I might have a relationship with a brand consultant and if we're working with a client to where they need branding, we're like, oh yeah, we know someone that's perfect at branding. We could tackle this project together because we understand your vision and idea and we could kind of relay that to the branding strategist and we come together and provide you with the best service and kind of it's a win-win situation. Everyone wins. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it now. It's Stags is probably one of the reasons why people like Wella hang out at the tech village because <laughs> there's some collaborative yeah. family love there. Yeah, yes. we absolutely do. And, you know, we see that all the time around here. I mean, we just did some stuff with Trust Fuel up the hallway and wherever 
this is something that's been going on in small business forever. I mean, when I worked in IT, we had this long list of services. We did web development was not one of them, but our clients always needed web development. And we had a web developer that was also local that we kind of brought on projects with us. And you don't see that as much in the startup community. We all love sharing this space and we're sharing ideas, but really like using each other's services and bringing each other in where, it makes sense, adds a value both to our customers, but to each other. Got it. All right. Well, guys, I hate to say it, running low on time, but uh, I know you're aware that the, the incubator is made possible by Wella. So it is time for the Wella questions of the week. <laughs> so Armand, I'll start with you this time. Okay. Uh, what is the best piece of financial advice you have ever received or given? I remember I was a teenager. I was taking too long in the bathroom and my father was knocking and trying to figure out what I was doing in there. So I opened the door and he uh, saw that I was standing looking in the mirror. And he was like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, just look in the mirror, make sure I look okay. He's like, you don't need to look good. All you need is money. Oh. <laughs> ah, I really wasn't sure where this was going. That, yeah. That was good. I had though. a lot of different directions this possibly could have gone. Exactly. So. <laughs> Well, there you have it. That's great stuff. So, uh, Beverly, uh, I'll ask you the same question. Best piece of financial advice you have ever received or given? Okay. Well, it was. it's not as funny as Armand's, (laughs) but um, (laughs) I had a 90-year-old neighbor when I lived in New York, and he was retired, old Italian guy, and he had a home in Italy and a a home in New York where he would kind of share his time between both. And he liked to sit outside a lot and feed the squirrels and the pigeons and anything else that was moving (laughs) in New York. (laughs) And um, he told me one day as he was feeding the squirrels he said you see we could learn a lot from nature and I said how so he said uh, see how I'm giving the squirrels peanuts see how that squirrel's taking the peanut and hiding it in the ground he said what we can learn from that is when times when we have plenty we always put some away so that when we don't have a lot because times it's you're not you're not going to always have plenty so if you put something away in those times where you feel like you would not have anything you have something put away so it was he was basically saying you know stash away mm-hmm. when you have yeah. when you have a lot so I mean I kind of took that advice and it, it was it was value I processed wow. that it was good yeah it's great yeah. great advice and let me just say far more profound than standing in front of a mirror <laughs> yes <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> alright yes. uh, guys I hate to say we're out of time we were with Armand Kadima and Beverly Price both partners at MD Burns Nash Armand Beverly is great to have you thanks for stopping by and joining us. Thank you for having us. We had a great time. We did too. It's our pleasure. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Again, on behalf of our guests, Armand Kadima and Beverly Price, my co-host, Ashley Staggs. I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you next week on The Incubator. You've been listening to The Incubator, recorded from the Wella offices, direct from the Atlanta Tech Village. This broadcast is a partnership between the Intrepid Now Media Network and Hypopotamus, and made possible by Wella, helping you on your financial journey every step of the way. The Incubator is directed by Andrea Risk and produced by Floyd Fischel. You can find The Incubator on iTunes, and leaving a rating and review on iTunes will be appreciated by all. Again, you've been listening to The Incubator. The show will return next week. We'll see you then.